Well, our um, sermon series, we started a new sermon series last week. We're calling Riding Out the Rapids. And so if you weren't here last week or you didn't get to hear it online last week, I would invite you to go back and take a listen to it because I think it kind of sets up where we're going over the next several weeks in a way that I'm not really going to take the time to do today. But basically why I decided to choose this sort of theme is for me, Um, 2020s felt like a lot like a whitewater rafting expedition. I mean, for me, when the year started out, it was kind of smooth and slow and calm waters, and I was just kind of enjoying myself and enjoying life. And then all of a sudden, we're in the midst of these dangerous rapids, and 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 I began to get a little scared, and and, and I began to be fearful that uh, because of the the dangerous, turbulent, and uncertain waters uh, that we were enduring in February and March, and have endured since, that that we might just all be swept away. I mean, if you'd told me that the church would be able to survive just completely shutting its doors for months on end without meeting, uh, I would have thought there is no way we could last more than a couple of weeks. It's been a frightening time for me as a pastor and for all of us because of the way that these turbulent times have impacted our lives. And of course, I'm talking about the pandemic, but I'm talking about more than the pandemic too. Because if you look at the headlines today, you see all sorts of things that are really frightening, all sorts of evidences of of turbulent and uncertain times. I mean, there are issues of uh, racial tension. Uh, There are issues of uh, suicide and drug abuse has never been more transparent. There are wildfires raging different parts of the world that are out of control. Uh, There are businesses that are closing and and likely never to open again. There's there's an election that seems to me to be one of the most divisive elections that that our country has ever known. And, And so there are so many reasons why what started off as a peaceful, tranquil 2020 for me and and maybe for you has turned into these raging rapids. Well, if you've ever been on a whitewater rafting expedition, you know that each person, each raft has a guide. And, And that guide, one of the first things that that guide will tell you is that, look, right now the water's calm, right now the water's smooth, but when we get into these rapids, it's going to get really tense and really stressful. And so here's what I need you to do. When we get into those rapids, I need you to listen to me. I need you to do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it. And if you will listen to me when we get into those rapids, and if you do what I tell you to do when we get into those rapids, there's a really good chance that we'll make it through the rapids and onto the other side where the water, at least for a little while, will get smooth and slow and calm again. And so that old imagery, that whole imagery of 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 this raging waters it seems to me like that would be a good word for us as we are in our own turbulent and uncertain times that when the water gets rough in our lives it would behoove us to listen to the guide what's the guide telling us what does the guide want us to know what does the guide want us to do and of course the guide is our god 
Now, last week I began uh, this sermon series by starting in the book of Exodus, and I've picked a passage, and we're going to we're in, Ex, in Isaiah, and we're in Isaiah again this morning, Isaiah chapter forty. You may remember that Isaiah is writing to a group of people who have been defeated by the Babylonians. And so when the Babylonians came in and defeated the children of God, the Babylonians plucked them up from their homes and their communities and then scattered them all over the Babylonian Empire. The whole point of doing that was so that it would weaken their resistance. It would weaken their resolve. It would dilute their faith. Because they weren't around their friends and their family, they would feel sort of alienated like strangers in a strange land. And, and, and so they're really worried. They feel as if God has abandoned them. And, and so it's to these people that Isaiah writes. And what Isaiah says to these people is that God has not abandoned you. God has kept God's covenant since the very beginning. If anybody has abandoned anybody, you are the ones that have abandoned God. And so Isaiah basically spends 39 chapters saying these are the catalog of sins that you have sinned against God. And the reason why I'm telling you these sins is because you can't turn back and repent of your sin if you don't know what your sins are. And you can imagine if I spent 39 chapters cataloging your sins, how you would feel or how I would feel. And so Isaiah wants them to know that even though you need to know what your sin is so that you can repent from it. Know that God still loves you. That, that God is still with you. And that God is, is able to, to come to you in the midst of these turbulent and uncertain times when you turn back to God and you can be restored and you can find new strength and you can find new power. And so that's the scripture uh, that we're going to pick up with again today. Isaiah begins by saying, have you not known? Have you not heard? Have I not been telling you this since the time you were born, since the time you were created? Why is Isaiah saying that? He's saying to them, you know this. I'm not telling you anything that you haven't heard before. Even though you turned your back on God, God has never turned God's back on you. And, and all God wants is for you to turn back to God. And when you turn back to God, then God is going to bless you. God is going to help you. God is going to be with you. God is going to give you power and strength that you do not possess on your own. And you want to know why God can do that? Because God is above all and beyond all. Uh, Isaiah points out that, that, that our God sits above the heavens and above the stars of the, uh, of the heavens. Uh, our God created the stars. Uh, and, and so many of the people in, in, in Babylon were worshiping the created stars that their God, the people of Israel, had created. And, and so Isaiah is reminding them that... that uh, our God is even higher and more lifted up, more elevated and more expansive and more exalted than any of the gods around you in Babylon that are at your disposal. You know that. You've heard that. It's still true regardless of what you've been through. And then Isaiah acknowledges that they're tempted to follow other rulers those rulers were created, born, 
created by God. And so once again, you're tempted to follow someone that is a creation, not the creator. And here's what's going to happen. Those people are going to wither away and die. Uh, Their rulership will come to an end, but the rulership of God will not. They will be brought low, but God will not. It's probably important for us to think about as we get ready to elect a president of the United States that regardless of who's elected, whether it's your candidate or the one you can't stand, whether it's your party or the one that you think you want no party with, that ultimately their rulership will end. That ultimately if we're putting our faith in our stock in them, we will settle for far less than if we put our faith in our stock in the Creator not in the created. There is no one like God. And Isaiah wants you to remember that. And then it's as if Isaiah anticipates the response that those people, that those are in exile and and all of us might give. It's like, well, I haven't given up on God. God's given up on me. I, I haven't stopped looking for God. I can't find God. So obviously, God, you have just hidden yourself from me and from us. And Isaiah's saying, you know, I know you're tempted to think that. I know you're tempted to think that God is hidden from you or that God has given up on you because things aren't happening in the way that you would like and when you would like, but that is not true. God has not given up on you. God has not given up on the world. God is not trying to hide from the world. God is available. We have hidden ourselves from God. Don't give up on God. Don't give in and start to put your faith and trust in the things that are not God. And don't give out and become weary and faint when there's a power that is available to you only through the one true God. That will see you through. God sees what's going on in your life. God understands what's going on in your life. God cares about what's going on in your life. And God would love to come into your life. And to help you get through the dangerous rapids that you're in. Then Isaiah describes God as the everlasting God, has no beginning and no end. Everything else has a shelf life. Everything else has a beginning and an end, but not our God. And then Isaiah says that our God will not grow faint and grow weary. Even the strongest of us in this sanctuary this morning or the strongest of us who are watching online will ultimately become weary and faint and weak, but our God will not. It's why when you're on a whitewater rafting expedition, one of the first things that they make you do is to put on a life jacket. It's because they know that if you were to fall out of the water and you're in the midst of one of those raging rapids, you will wear yourself out trying to swim against that current, trying to get to shore. And so that raft, that life jacket is there to help you not to grow weary and weak and faint in the hopes that you will make it through the rapids and safely to shore. You and I will grow faint and weak, but we serve a God who can give us strength that we would not otherwise possess on our own. And here's the problem is that when you're weak, you're also vulnerable. 
you're also really, really vulnerable. Um, I was told when I married Hillary that um, there would be a dog in our life. At the time, I thought she was talking about me, but, um, but uh, she's told us that we, she's been a dog lover her whole life, and I like dogs, your dog, you know, but but she's told me we're going to get a dog, and so I'm trying to get excited about that. She's certainly excited about that. She's been watching all these videos on YouTube of little dogs, and she's saying, look at the puppy, you know. And so she showed me this video the other night, and it's a video of a, of a mother, a female dog, who is nursing her puppies. And, and when I looked at the video, I noticed that there was one puppy that was kind of laying off to the side while all of the other puppies were, um, shall we say, at the nursing station. And, and so I asked, what's wrong with the one little puppy there? And she said, well, that is probably the runt of the litter. It's probably the weakest puppy in the bunch. And, and so that kind of made me sad. And while we're watching this video, all of a sudden, uh, a person appears and picks up that weak, vulnerable runt of a puppy and puts the puppy at a nursing station and swaps out one of the other puppies. You see, when you're weak and you're vulnerable, you're, you're susceptible and, and you need somebody that's willing to come in in that moment of weakness and in that moment of, of, of frailty and to lift you up and nurture you in a way that you could not be nurtured were it not for that someone. And that's, that's what God does for us is that when we are weak and when we are vulnerable, God comes in and, and, and God seeks to nourish us and give us strength and to give us power. And Isaiah tells us how to get that strength and power. He says we got to wait on the Lord. Now waiting, I don't know about you, but that's difficult for me to do. I, I don't want to wait. I want what I want it, and I want it right now. You know, I don't think it's ever been harder to wait in our entire lives because everything in our world is like instant gratification. I mean, I can order something off Amazon today, and it'll be here this evening if I want to pay enough for it. We find it really tough to wait. And, and, and why would God want us to wait? Well, um, wait in the Old Testament can also be translated trust trust and so when it says when we are to wait on the Lord we're actually supposed to trust in the Lord we're actually supposed to it's not simply marking time but it's living in joyful and complete expectation that God can come into our weariness God can come to us when we are faint God can come to us when the waters are raging and God can give us strength and power that we would not otherwise possess Sometimes we have to wait or trust longer than we would like. But God promises to come. And the end result is that we will soar like eagles. I've often wondered why did he use this imagery of soaring like an eagle? Well, uh, in studying eagles this past week for the sermon, uh, they're one of the most powerful and fastest birds in the air. Their talons are so strong. Uh, an eagle at top speed can get 99 miles an hour. And, and when you're soaring like an eagle, essentially what that means is that when you've been grounded uh, or when you're in a turbulent time in raging waters, it's a way where you get enough strength and a different perspective on the ground, a different perspective on the problem, and you have strength and power. And I think that's why 
Isaiah used this imagery because an eagle allows us to th see things in a different way from a different perspective with a strength and a power that we would not have otherwise uh, had. I'm going to tell one more story and then I'm done. Um, believe it or not, there's not a lot of uh, sermon illustrations for uh, whitewater rafting. So you're going to have to deal with me mixing some analogies uh, in the coming weeks. But here's a story that I read this past week that I think sums up everything I've tried to say today. There was a New York Times reporter who decided to run an ultra marathon. Now, I didn't know what an ultra marathon is. Hillary's a runner. I asked her. She said an ultra marathon is anything over the 26.2 miles. It can be anything beyond that. Well, what I was reading about, this New York Times reporter ran what is considered the hardest foot race in the world. It was actually 132 miles. It's called Badwater. It starts in Death Valley in California where it is as hot as it gets here in the United States. And, and it ends 132 miles later at the highest peak in the lower 48 states. And you have to finish it in 60 hours. And it is brutal. And there are lots of people who don't finish. Uh, there are lots of people that come to the brink of death, perhaps even dying, trying to get through it. And the reason why this reporter, who was of average athletic ability, decided to run the bad water, this ultra marathon, is because his older brother committed suicide without any hint that anything was going on in his life. And he said, I decided to run bad water because I wanted to prove to myself and to anybody else that cared to notice is that when it gets really tough, when the waters are raging around you, when you're facing adversity and you're weak and weary and faint, you can find the strength and the power to keep going. And he did. He finished. Second to last, but he finished. And he reminded himself that you can go on. I think that's a word from the Lord for us today in these uncertain times. That there's a strength and a power that is available to us, if we will but wait and trust in the Lord, we will find out that we can go on and that we can make it through.